Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Hope you're all having a wonderful week. Looking forward to diving right into the issues of the day. Before I do, though, I want to send out the Ramadan blessings to my fellow, fellow Muslim uh, brothers and sisters as we enter the second half of our lunar month of fasting of Ramadan, the ninth month of the lunar calendar, and also blessings to our Jewish and Christian brothers and sisters as we had a confluence of Passover and Ramadan, Good Friday and Easter just this past weekend. And, you know, uh, as these holidays come together, we're reminded of our similarities, we're reminded of our common moral constructs, and reminded of each of our own responsibilities, especially I, in the area of Muslim reform and Muslims who want to exhibit a tough love to our fellow faith practitioners, in that as we seek atonement, as we seek redemption in our new um, selves, if you will, after the holy month of Ramadan, I, I hope we all realize, and I know I'm constantly renewing, what I can do better to um, become more in- introspective, to uh, be more effective in the message that we send out about the need for reform, the need for an appreciation and a love for Western civilization, for society, for freedoms, for liberty, and the and the freedoms of our constitution and the need to defeat political Islam. This week I want to talk to you a little bit about Bahrain, but also, you know, the the illusion of modernity, the illusion of moderation when in fact it isn't, when in fact it's still Islamist, still authoritarian, still theocratic. And we're going to talk deeper about what's happening in Scotland with, as of March 29. Now the ascendant of a first minister, first minister who is Islamist, and some may disagree with that, but uh, I've discussed it briefly on this program before, and now it is going to become important that we realize as Muslims ascend to po- positions of leadership because of identity politics, because of minority identity politics. We're going to find that it is empowering not only the Islamist movement domestically, but becoming an arm of a global political movement that the Islamists will be all too willing to work with. Let's talk about what's happening in Scotland. The Scottish appointed, selected, rather, elected their first minister minister by the name of Hamza Youssef, not the Hamza Youssef of the Zaytuna Academy, who uh, seems to have a similar background, but now this is a completely different uh, gentleman. He was uh, um, installed into office at the head of the Scottish government on March 29, 2023. What is the First Minister of Scotland? He is the head of the Scottish government and keeper of the Great Seal of Scotland. The First Minister chairs the Scottish cabinet and is primarily responsible for the 
you know, the formulation, development, and presentation of Scottish government policy. Additional functions of the First Minister include promoting and representing Scotland in an official capacity at home and abroad. And following the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon, Hamza Youssef of the Scottish National Party was elected as a nominee by the Scottish Parliament on March 28, 2023. And the day after he took office, he received the Scottish seal and became formally appointed by King Charles III. And how fitting. I've talked to you before about King Charles III's fealty for the Islamic theocratic world, the kings, the uh, Wahhabis, and others with, no, with, with so much apologetics. He gives no apology to his endorsement of theocratic rule in the Sharia state, if you will. We've talked about that here before, too. And the BBC also went as far as it could to, to at bended knee, congratulate the Islamist Hamza Yusuf for his ascendancy. And I say Islamist, has he ever recognized that himself? No. But it's like saying socialist. Do I need, as a capitalist, to uh, wait for the socialists to self-declare themselves to be political economic socialists or is it obvious by their policies by who they affiliate with them by what they don't say about what they endorse the bbc headlines this week muslim leader for scotland a sign of uk political diversity oh okay hamza yusuf was confirmed as first minister of scotland last tuesday becoming the first person of color to head the scottish government and the first muslim national leader in any Western democracy. Is he really of color? I guess, based on his uh, uh, origins, the milestone comes five months after the UK got its first Hindu leader and Prime Minister Rishni Sunak. Britain's capital city is headed by London Mayor Sadiq Khan, the son of Pakistani immigrants. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it, how across the leadership in the UK and Scotland, they have ascended... Muslims. All three politicians reflect the accelerating diversification, according to the BBC of Politics in Britain, a country whose imperialist past has uncertainly and sometimes painfully forged a multi-ethnic present. They can't even discuss the actual issues at hand. The BBC has to contextualize the ascendancy of an Islamist to the government of, Scotsta- of, of Scotland by basically saying that it's because of the uh, um, uh, comeuppance of the previous imperialist past. There's an expectation, the BBC says now, for, or I'm sorry, it's quoting Sundar Katwala of the British Future, a think tank that studies identity and race. He said, there's an expectation now or familiarity with diversity in British politics that we don't see in other European countries. Lawmakers in the Edinburgh-based Scottish Parliament voted to confirm the 37-year-old Yusuf as First Minister a day after he was elected leader of the governing Scottish National Party. Scotland, a country of 5.5 million people, is part of the United Kingdom, but has a semi-autonomous government with broad power in areas including health and education. In an acceptance speech, Yusuf said he was forever thankful that my grandparents made the trip from the Punjab to Scotland over 60 years ago. 
As immigrants to this country, he said, who knew barely a word of English, they could not have imagined their grandson would one day be on the cusp of being the next First Minister of Minister of Scotland. From the Punjab to our Parliament, this is a journey over generations that reminds us that we should celebrate migrants who continue contribute so much to our country. And the BBC goes on to patronize its readers by saying that the UK has always heeded that reminder. Migrants have often experienced racism and hostility, both covert and overt. This is BBC reporting, by the way. That hostility remains government policy for people who arrived by unauthorized means. Sunak's government in the UK plans to detain and deport anyone who crosses the English Channel in small boats and wants to send some asylum seekers on a way one-way trip to Rwanda, but British society and politics have grown markedly more diverse. 18% of the population is non-white, and many people have roots in countries the British Empire once ruled, including India, Pakistan, Caribbean nations, and such as Jamaica. Yusuf was born in Glasgow in 85. His father's family came from Pakistan. His mother's from East Africa. Part of an exodus of South Asian families who faced post-independence discrimination. One grandfather worked in a Singer sewing machine factory while a grandmother was a Glasgow bus conductor. At primary school, there was only one me and other, there was only me, he said, and one other brown face. He attended private high school, then studied politics at the University of Glasgow after breaking it to his parents who hoped he'd become a lawyer. He then joined the pro-independence SNP in 2005, inspired partly by its then-leader Alex Salmond's opposition to the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq, which the U.K. under Prime Minister Tony Blair had joined. Yusuf said he felt independence from the U.K. was the only way to ensure Scotland would not become embroiled in another illegal war. Independence from the U.K. Elected to the Scottish Parliament in 2011, he had served in several government rules, most recently health. Opposition politicians are scathing about his political record, citing Scotland's long waiting times for health care and serious drug addiction problems. But yet, Scottish Labour Party leader N.S. Sarwar, also a Muslim Glaswegian, said that Regardless of your politics, this is a significant moment for Scotland. He did speak of, in his speech of the strength he draws from religion, but his Muslim faith drew little comment during the SNP context. Instead, it was the faith of his opponent, Kate Forbes, an evangelical Christian that attracted attention. She was criticized after disclosing her opposition to same-sex marriage, which is legal in Scotland and which Yusuf supports. Fascinating to me that, again, we see over and over and over the duplicity, the hypocrisy that conservative Christians, conservative Orthodox Jews are attacked on their faith and attacked on their beliefs. And yet an Islamist runs from within a faith community and a leadership that is still in the 13th century in which the majority countries with Muslim majorities are literally killing homosexuals, throwing them off cliffs in Iran, using Hadood punishments in, in Pakistan to enact honor killings and, and other crimes against humanity. And yet, Yusuf's 
positions on these things are unclear, are not stated, not written about, not doubt, not never dove into. He might have made a few statements here and there. Good luck finding them. But if you do, those are a few sentences that he probably said in response to some specific queries. Did he ever write about it? Did he ever believe there needed to be reformed? Did he ever feel that somehow part of his way to give back to having the freedoms that he has and growing up and being born in Glasgow was to begin to push back against the establishment of the Islamist regimes around the world and the draconian nature of their Sharia interpretations? I, I, I don't see that at all. He actually was working on independence for Scotland, which is fine if he believes that. But for a Muslim who claims to be wedded deeply to his faith and to use that identity, that faith identity as a defining moment for multi-ethnicity, for diversity and for minority rights, by God, hold him accountable to what he believes about that faith. He says he's for gay rights. Has he said that in the mosques in Scotland? Has he said that against the Islamist groups in the West, in England, in Belgium, in France? Against the imams that... Uh, have sermons border to border across Europe and across the, the world that basically are homophobic, misogynistic, and otherwise violate most of the principles of the so-called party that Yusuf is a part of. Britain, as the BBC says, is not the only European country whose politics are growing more diverse. Irish Prime Minister Leo Vardarkar has an Indian father, and Portuguese leader Antonio Costa also has South Asian roots. But Britain has, been, has seen rapid political change. Forty years ago, there was no ethnicity minority law, I'm sorry, ethnic minority lawmakers in the British Parliament, as the BBC states. Khan said, if you have a prime minister who is Indian, Hindu, or a Scottish leader who is an Asian Muslim, that must mean their groups are part of the us and aren't now facing the question, will they govern for their own group or will they govern for everybody, he said. And this is re from Yusuf's comment from Sunak, a conservative, Khan, a Labour Party member. Meanwhile, as the Middle East Forum and its Focus on Islamism has pointed out, and Sam Westrop wrote eloquently, he said, Scotland's probable next leader has an Islamist problem. Yusuf, a senior Scottish National Party politician who brought a fugitive Hamas commander to meet with Scottish ministers, worked for a radical charity condemned by Western governments for its anti-Semitism and terror ties. And he's advocated for progressive political Islam, Yusuf first came to the public attention in late 2000 was serving as an aide to former SNP leader Alex Lamont and other senior party leaders. 2010, the Quilliam Foundation, now defunct, a Muslim-run counter-extremism organization, some of whose leaders are now working with us and the Muslim Reform Movement. Um, Westrop, and, and I'm talking about us as in the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, including uh, um, their imams and others, but now it's defunct and is no longer uh, incorporated. 
They prepared a list for the British security officials warning that SIF, the Scottish Islamic Foundation, was an entry-level Islamist group that contributed to the threat of radicalization and extremism within British Islam. Parliamentary questions have revealed that Yusuf and Saeed, through this foundation, brought extremists to meet with senior Scottish politicians. In 2008, Yusuf organized a meeting with Scotland's Minister for Europe, External Affairs and Culture, featuring three prominent Islamists, Muhammad Sawalha, Enes Al-Tikriti, and Ismail Patel. Two years earlier, Sawalha had been named by the BBC as a fugitive Hamas commander, and indeed Sawalha later became a member of the terror group's political bureau. Al-Katriki long served as a leading member of the Muslim Brotherhood in both the UK and Iraq, and in 2006 he reportedly praised Iraqi resistance against British and American troops in Iraq. And there's not a surprise there because Yusuf himself came to be in politics because he wanted Britain out of Iraq. Patel, who he also brought, is another supporter of Hamas and already at the time of the meeting established a reputation for hardline Islamism, including advocating for the killing of adulterers and punishment of free mixing of men and women. Other Islamist groups continued to benefit from Yusuf's influence over the SNP government. In 2013, when he was serving as Scotland's Minister of External Affairs and International Development, they announced an almost £400,000 grant to Islamic Relief, one of the largest Islamic charities in the world, established by figures from the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. Critics cited cronyism at work. Before his election to the Scottish Parliament, Islamic Relief had appointed Yusuf, Hamza Yusuf, now the First Minister, as its media spokesperson. European and Islamic governments have denounced Islamic Relief because of the anti-Semitism of its officials and its long history of close ties to Hamas and other designated terror groups. In 2020, the State Department warned about the blatant and horrifying anti-Semitism and glorification of violence exhibited at the most senior levels of the Islamic relief worldwide. And it goes further. Yusuf's cousin and SIF colleague, foundational colleague Osama Saeed, is himself a notorious Islamist operative who also once stood as an SNP parliamentary candidate. Saeed called for the establishment of an Islamic caliphate. And in 2006, Saeed voiced praise for the Al-Qaeda operative Anwar Awlaki, writing, Imam Anwar Awlaki was originally hounded in the U.S. because two of the 9-11 bombers happened to pray at his mosque. He preached nothing but peace, Saeed said. Awlaki later became leader of Al-Qaeda on the Arabian Peninsula before his death in 2011 from a drone strike after he had openly released many videos declaring war and attacking America. The extent to which, and Sam points out, the extent to which Yusuf shares his cousin's extremism is unclear, although the two remain close. Now, it's unclear. You'd think somebody as politically active as 
Yusuf would have found time to denounce, to write about how, how varying their political ideology is of his cousin, of those he had trafficked with at the Islamic Foundation in Scotland. None of that. None of that can be found. No accountability. The media gives him a pass. The media gives him a pass while his counterparts on the right, the conservative party, are attacked for their conservative Christianity. And that's not even to give that a moral equivalence. The conservative Christianity of the 21st century is nothing compared to the orthodox Islamism and Wahhabism that the Islamists with 13th century Sharia law are pushing around the world. But they left. the left gives them a pass. What is his ideology? It's hard to tell. Yusuf in 2011, as policymakers, moderate Muslims, and others expressed fear and concern about the Brotherhood in Egypt, tweeted, all this talk coming from the U.S. and the U.K. about an Islamist government taking control of smokescreens and mirrors to protect their own interests. <laughs> All righty then. That's his reflection on the Muslim Brotherhood, ladies and gentlemen, just a little over 10 years ago. This sort of language from Yusuf, however, has died down in the recent years. Why do you think that is? I think because he began to develop not a change in heart, but an understanding of what ideologies would fly and be compatible on the left versus those, and I'm sorry, in, in general media and those that would not fly. And then Sam says, while Yusuf continues to advance some other Islamic ideas, particularly on finance, his underlying ideology remains not clear-cut. When pushed on gay marriage, he said that... While Yusuf has declared that mainstream Islam appears unfriendly to gay marriage, quote-unquote, he's promised not to use his faith as a basis for legislating. So interesting that he acknowledged that that's part of the faith, did not talk about needs for reform, but simply said he would have a separation. That's basically what I've described before as what many Muslims in the West use to justify their existence here. And they use, they instead of dividing the world into the land of Islam and the land of war, either under Islamic law or under antagonism with Islamic majority countries, as the old division existed in the pre-modern Islamic era, that has never been reformed. Now, reformers and Dissimulators like Tara Ramadan and Kardawi and others called for a third entity of the land of contract where Muslims live under contract. They will not put forth Islamic ideas because they are under contract to abide by the laws of the country they're in. No different than an employee would abide by the laws of where they live, where they're working. So that sounds Moderate to some, that's not moderate. That is simply that they're not anarchist. That is simply that they're not uh, abiding by the technique of terrorism and, and, and violence and coercion. If they accept the rules, but yet if they became a majority, they'd switch them? 
Is that what they're saying? And that's what's happening in neighborhoods like Dearborn or elsewhere where Muslims are a majority is the Islamists. The Islamists, when they get control, will then try to invoke Sharia in a quote-unquote populist, majoritocratic fashion, in an Islamist fashion. So Hamza Yusuf is no moderate. He's simply working in the third area of the land of contract, or Dar al-Aqad, versus Dar al-Harb, the land of war and the land of Islam, Dar al-Islam, and that's how he's living. Is anybody going to ask him these questions now that he's running the government in Scotland? Anybody care about Scottish history, its foundations? I, as an American Muslim, certainly care about my country's foundations, that its freedom and democracy and constitution didn't come whole cloth out of thin air. It came out of a, a tradition that I celebrate, a tradition that created an environment that gave me and my family the freedom to be here, to, to bring forth, as de Tocqueville talks about democracy in America, bring forth a society that did not need dictatorship, that celebrated the equality of all under the Constitution, under the rule of law, with a Bill of Rights that protected freedom of religion as the first liberty, protected freedom of speech, and protected every individual from discrimination. Yes, did it take our country years to perfect many of these things, and we're still working on it. Some of it's falling apart, some of it's coming together. Bottom line is, is those foundations are something that should be celebrated. And if we as Muslims believe that these principles are commensurate with our faith, then we need to say how that is. We need to articulate no, articulate no different than the Founding Fathers had the debate about why there should be an Establishment Clause interpretation of the First Amendment and why then in the 21st century we as Muslims want to transplant that idea into the world where Muslims are having debates about future governance against dictatorships and autocracy and theocracy, what would be their forms of government. So as they simply ascend here in the West for often because of identity politics, or is it because of meritocracy that we see all of these ethnically Pakistani, Afghani, Arabic, or religiously Muslim or Hindu people in the West become political leaders, whatever the actual reason might be, how are we giving back to our faith communities? How are we showing that truly we love the societies that we live in? Is it actually being held accountable? Or is it actually just the silence that we simply focus on the issues that the far left, the progressivists, want to push forth in the synergy of the red-green far left and Islamist axis? Or is it actually about reform and giving back in genuine, genuinely honest reflection on what needs to be reformed? Sam Westrop ends his piece and says, It is possible that Yusuf might be a believer in genuine confluence of Islamism and progressivism. In 2012, he declared a support for progressive political Islam. 
In the same Twitter thread, he praised the main Islamic party in Tunisia as an example, which was a heavy-duty Islamist party. Somebody needs to push Yusuf to explain what the heck he meant by progressive political Islam that he supports. And they needs to articulate. Again, it's not about... It's not about the issue of his own personal faith. It's about a political movement that runs against national interest of the nation that he's now leading. And I think a piece that highlights that is a piece a piece back in 2008 in a book, a collection of writings in a journal called Demokratie, or Democratic Government, by Tom Gallagher, a piece called Nationalism and Islamism in Scotland. And he had, uh, take a look at it, Not, I mean, I don't agree with all of it, but I, I think it makes some good points. But the piece that I want to lift up, this is in 2008 he wrote this. He said, today I would argue a much larger portion of the SNP is playing ethnic politics or is relaxed about its leader doing so. The unyielding but neurotic Majority nationalism of an interwar Europe, deeply unsure of itself and hostile to minorities, has been replaced by a nationalism that is increasingly organized around minority rights. The multiculturalist principle has catapulted minorities to the forefront of politics in democratic states which are ethnically mixed. It obliges people to belong to groups, defines those groups by cultural or religious attributes, gives rights to such groups, and favors the granting of privileges, subsidies, quotas, legal immunities, and so on to them in order to reinforce their identity. Community leaders are hired by the state in order to manage these groups and state agencies proliferate to shape such policies around their needs. That's pretty prescient. But it was happening. It was obvious to any of us. I was Then that's when the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, we formed three years earlier in 2005 here in Arizona and then catapulted nationally to our work and testimony to Congress seven, eight times beginning in 2011 because we started to see this minority politic, this identity politic that then fast forward to the sonic boom of the Black Lives Matter movement here in America and the riots and the destruction of property across the country in the pandemic. And you see where we are now with the woke movement. Gallagher ends his piece in 2008, professor at Department of Peace Studies at the University of Bradford, in his book, The Illusion of Freedom, Scotland Under Nationalism, He said, Scotland has always suffered when Scots have been organized into religious factions, with individual citizenship being sacrificed in favor of sectarian group identities. It is acceptable for Mr. Salman to look for votes among Muslims, but he should approach them as individual citizens whose religion is only one aspect of their identity and not necessarily the primary one. To franchise out the community to religious radicals and to use his party and the state agency It now controls to buttress a religious identity is a highly responsible act. It means that a sectional outlook is likely to become entrenched in the community as it is placed in the control of religious gatekeepers. The opportunities for misunderstanding and friction 
with other Scots will surely abound. Wow. I don't even know what his politics are. That might be coming from the left for all I know. But the bottom line is, is it rings true, doesn't it? That at the beginning of these movements, 15, 20 years ago, when they were highlighting the, the balkanization of society based on skin-deep politics, identity politics, racial, ethnic politics, and not on ideologies about national identity. He said that part of it was a response to the hyper-nationalism, and that's exactly what we're seeing in America and France and elsewhere. That hyper-nationalism can, as a result, have a counter-response which is equally problematic in hyper-identity politic that then becomes incubators for political Islam and other Islamist movements. And that needs to be confronted. And I would tell you that the solution is finding out what are the common elements that make us American, Scottish, British, French, German, Belgian, Egyptian. These kind of things... These common elements are the contracts with which we socially come together in under a rule of law. The history of America is clear on where it stood against the imposition of the establishment of the Church of England and the, the use of law for the enforcement of religious law or for just simply moral and ethical and legal constructs of common law. This is the reform that Islam has not gone through and needs to be confronted with. And Muslims need to, and, and only Muslims can lead that charge. But as Muslims gain prominence, you give them a pass, it's even going to create more anesthesia about the reality of what a quarter of the world's population is going through or should be going through, as we see in Iran. Tunisia, Syria, Afghanistan, as radical Islamism is ripping them up. Political Islam is smothering them, and freedom is non-existent. Is there hope? I don't know, but cure can only come after you begin the chemotherapy against that cancer of political Islam. So watch what's happening in Scotland, ladies and gentlemen. Watch it. See what Hamza Yusuf does. See what the media does not ask him. And begin to follow his constituents, follow that movement, and begin to learn from it on what we do here in America. What are we doing with the Ilhan Omars and Rashida Tlaibs of the political landscape here in America? Nobody's holding them accountable. In fact, there's a piece in the AP that just a few days ago about the AP said Ilhan Omar embarks on a new path no longer defined by firsts. And as my friend said, not a word from the AP about the fact that according to the FBI, Omar's district is the number one terrorist recruiting hotbed in America. Just an honest oversight, yeah. Yeah. But uh, continues with identity politics and then President Joe Biden decides to call her out in Minnesota and congratulate her about how stalwart and strong she's been as a representative. <laughs> Trying to, I guess, make amends because she did nothing to support his candidacy because he was too moderate. And yet we're seeing, according to her, 
and yet we're seeing that he's been the most extreme progressivist president that even makes Obama look like a moderate. Last, I want to talk briefly about Bahrain, which again is to this theme of the facade of moderation. Bahrain has long been heralded for for good reasons because it is a more benevolent monarchy. It has um, a a protection of minorities, including the Jewish communities and Christian and, and Shia and others in that kingdom. And yet, I wanted to highlight this story because, remember, Bahrain is, is, as Saudi does, Bahrain does politically, globally, geopolitically, and regionally. So how, did, how is that, and yet Bahrain claims to be moderate? Three members of a religious and cultural society in Bahrain that advocates open discussion of Islamic issues have been jailed. They were prosecuted under a law that criminalizes ridicule of any of Bahrain's recognized religious texts, which include the Quran and the Bible. Human rights groups, according to the BBC, say the men were persecuted for expressing their right to free speech and belief. The society said that the case had fueled violence against its members. In a series of programs posted on YouTube, El Tajdeed Society raised questions over Islamic legal theories and opinions issued by Islamic clerics. That's an interesting name for them. El Tajdeed means the renewal. The group is Shia Muslim, which accounts for the majority of Bahrain's populations, although the ruling family is Sunni. But prominent Shia clerics have been the most openly hostile to the organization, denouncing its work as blasphemy and calling for El Tajdeed members to be ostracized. In a lawsuit submitted against the group, with the prosecution saying that the case had been brought in defense of our religious, righteous religion and to prevent sedition within society, it demanded maximum punishment under Bahraini law. And again, this speaks to the point I've constantly taught about. When they attack free speech, when they attack reformists, it's about sedition because they merge national identity with Islamic identity in their Islamic theocratic state. So to say Bahrain's a moderate state is BS. It is a form, another flavor of an Islamic state. El Tajdeed Society responded by saying in court, thoughts are to be challenged with thoughts and words are not to be suppressed by the authority of the law. And I don't know what their beliefs are exactly, but God bless them for that statement. The court has now sentenced the three defendants, Jalal al-Qassab, Rada al-Rajab, and Muhammad al-Rajab, to a year in jail and a fine. The sentence is suspended pending an appeal. Tajdeed has said that the court case has exacerbated an existing campaign at mosques and on social media encouraging verbal and physical violence against its members. Human Rights Watch called for the charges to be dropped and for a halt to inflammatory public comments condemning Al-Tajdeed on his religious grounds. (laughs) And yet, Bahrain inaugurated the largest church in the region, Our Lady of Arabia Cathedral, in 2021. And it's one of the only homes for the remaining Jewish communities in the Arab Gulf. 
The authorities deny this, but the main Shia opposition group, Al-Wafaq, remains barred from participating in elections. A lot to consider there, but the main theme is, I'm sorry, but nothing is as it appears. Until the establishment in the Islamic world is taken down, until it begins to actually allow true reform and questioning of authority, regardless of the chaos that that might cause or as much as it might upset the radical imams, we're going to get nowhere and it's all a facade. Revolutions of thought need to happen. Now, does it need to be kinetic, physical revolutions of war? No, it does not. And I think the Abraham Accords told us that at least when it comes to normalcy with Israel and regional diplomacy, perhaps it's possible without terror and without war from the Islamists. But... But we can't avoid it because of that constant linkage of terror and other things and uh, um, chaos to progress. Progress will only be made when we're allowed to question authority, question conventional wisdom, and question what the so-called ulama or the scholars say about what is and what is not Islam. Keep reading Keep learning about these topics and keep pushing your local teachers, professors, politicians, community faith leaders, thought leaders about the issue of political Islam, national security, and push against this woke identity politic. Push against those who don't allow us or those who want to just push us into skin-deep identity groups rather than look at real diversity, which is about ideological diversity. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio on Twitter. God bless. We'll see you soon. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.